The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. I admit to sometimes being a political coward. That happens when I have a prescient thought and keep it to myself, even when I know I am just doing it to be politically correct and that I'm later going to be proved correct, as in right. An example of this is the United States' response to the outbreak of coronavirus in China. Our response started with the first announcement by the government that they were dispatching CDC, that Center for Disease Control personnel, first to San Francisco, New York, and Los Angeles airports to screen passengers arriving from China. They put a little gun to their head to see if they had a fever, which is an active symptom of this serious respiratory disease and let them go on their merry way into the country if they didn't have a temperature. Well, thought I, what if they're incubating the virus but have not yet developed symptoms? For example, U.S. citizens with children who'd been visiting family in China over our holiday break, those children re-entered our school system. Parents returned to work. Chinese tourists flood into the United States in January and early February to visit family during the Chinese Lunar New Year, which is known historically to be a period of massive transit migration. Well, in those early days, once you cleared customs and the CDC and integrated into our major metropolitan areas, that was it. And shortly after that, we did see 15 identified cases of the virus emerge in the following weeks in people who fit those travel patterns. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems. I don't make them. And sometimes I just identify them. As in those early cases developed, those early cases of corona virus in the United States developed, more CDC personnel were dispatched to more airports in the United States, for example, Seattle. And then United States air carriers announced a suspension of flights to and from China to the United States. And then subsequent to that, the U.S. government restricted entry to the United States for persons traveling from China within the last 14 days that is 14 days prior to their attempt to enter the United States. At each point, each announcement of new evidence-based restrictions, the effective date was set several days after the announcement. So if you announced on Friday that you were going to have a restriction on anybody entering the United States who 14 days prior to that date of entry had been in China, Okay, if you were going to make that effective on Sunday, well, you announced it on Friday. And that meant people who entered the U.S. on Friday or Saturday or overnight until the 
day crew came on on Sunday were not impacted by that restriction because it wasn't effective yet. So at each point, we have at each announcement set that effective date to, get, to leave a gap. And that caused me to think, hmm, what about the risk of infection from people entering and trans transiting the US from a point of announcement to the point of implementation? But again, I didn't say anything because it would be politically incorrect to express that thought out loud, wouldn't it? But as I went to a Palo Alto Medical Foundation facility last week for my annual checkup, I saw big signs on every door advising people who had traveled to China to put on a protective mask and advise PAMP personnel of their China travel. Hmm, I thought while reaching for a second squirt of Purell, wonder why the laboratory and other personnel are all wearing face masks if the potential risk to the average American is so low. I mean, we do have a significant Chinese immigrant population in Silicon Valley. And then came a warning notice from the huge apartment home complex I live in. If you've been to China, you should observe 14-day quarantine in your apartment. Of course, we're not going to enforce that, but we're telling you you should do that. Hmm. If you're an engineer working in Silicon Valley who traveled home to China for Lunar New Year, did you pop into work the Monday after your return? Of course you did. Making that notice a day late, a dollar short, and blatantly CYA. But still, I said nothing about what seemed by now to be obvious. Not exhibiting signs of illness at the airport does not mean that the tra traveler is not incubating a virus that we know very little about. For further evidence, just look at the number of cases that have developed among those repatriated U.S. citizens who are being held in quarantine at various U.S. military facilities. Then this past Friday, on Valentine's Day, came a flurry of announcements that indicate our government has once again not been telling us the whole truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. First, a passenger traveling from San Francisco to London on a United Airlines flight began to exhibit symptoms of the disease in flight. We don't know the original point of departure, but it raises questions. Was that person beginning their travel in the US or had that person been in China in less than the last 14 days? Had they perhaps been in contact with such a person? Were they coming from Asia and just transiting through SFO? And were the other passengers put at potential risk of contracting and thus further spreading the illness? Hmm, we don't know. Then Facebook announced the cancellation of a global marketing conference planned for March in San Francisco. 
That announcement came on the heels of an announcement by IBM that they would not send any personnel to the RSA Global Cybersecurity Conference, which is scheduled to be held in San Francisco the last week in February. Both announcements were based on concerns, fears of spreading the coronavirus, exposing their US personnel to the coronavirus. I suspect there will be more such cancellations in the next few weeks and not just in San Francisco, but in Europe and in the rest of the United States and perhaps even in other parts of Asia. That's because the private sector is now finds itself alone having to respond to what if? If only we could get the government, the World Health Organization to think about what if? World Health Organization, I'd be happy if the, if the United States uh, Center for Disease Control or the Department of Health and Human Services could move from reacting to what did happen to what if? What if we, don't, we aren't calculating the risks here correctly? What should we consider doing? And then late on Friday, as the government does all too often, especially if that Friday is a holiday, begins a holiday weekend, well, they let out the bad news. Henceforth and immediately in five med major metropolitan areas, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, Chicago, and New York, patients with symptoms but testing negative for flu will now be mandatorily tested for the coronavirus. Oh, you say, is that just a coincidence? After all, these are among the first cities to implement CDC airport screening. Hmm, but then so did Atlanta in that first wave in the early days of the screening program, and yet they're not included in this mandatory test order. All right, now I'm gonna be politically incorrect. San Francisco and New York, followed by the other three cities mentioned, have the heaviest concentrations of Chinese American citizens and resident aliens. We're told it's just a public health training exercise. Just getting the procedures in place, just in case, blah, 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 blah. I don't believe Secretary Azar, and he's one of the honest brokers in the Trump administration. And here is why. We know that not having symptoms upon arrival at a U.S. airport does not mean you are virus-free. Not everyone who is exposed to the virus gets horribly sick. Corona is, at its root, the same virus that causes the common cold. We have no way to know how many people who entered the United States fever-free and later developed symptoms thought they just had a bad cold. Even went to the doctor and tested negative for flu, at which point they would say, oh, you have a bad cold. We are counting on those patients, by the way, to tell medical personnel if they are at risk. In other words, if they recently traveled to China or have been exposed to someone who recently traveled to China. 
Now, if you fear being put in quarantine for 14 days, are you going to volunteer that information? Just this Sunday, this holiday weekend Sunday, the government has announced that 44 U.S. citizens quarantined on a cruise ship in Yokohama, Japan, have tested positive, although not all of them have symptoms. And one woman who disembarked a cruise ship in Cambodia last week later tested positive for the illness in Malaysia. How many people did she come into contact with? And before she developed a temperature, was she contagious? Leading me to conclude that the next announcement from Washington will be the virus is here in the, U in the USA and that further steps are needed for containment but there's no reason for panic yet. There's no reason for panic, let me underscore that, as long as we have an adequate supply of antiviral drugs and HIV suppression drugs, which is what they are using to treat this illness to keep deaths to a minimum. Our next question, therefore, should be, do we have an adequate supply of antiviral medications to last through a longer duration event. The active ingredients in so many of these drugs come from China. Is it possible that those ingredients carry a risk of infection? There are ongoing serious concerns about the sterility of drug manufacturing as an entity, as an industrial segment in China. So now you got to ask that question twice. Oh, and how many of these factories are shut down in the China epicenter of the coronavirus crisis? And that leads me to a longer term question about how our government allowed a situation in which 80% of the active ingredients in our medications come from China. How did that happen in the first place? Uh, but that's a subject for another day. So what do we really know about the coronavirus and about its incubation? Are we really sure the incubation period is 14 days or less? Or are we just guessing? What is the real contagion period before the symptoms start to show? How far into the symptomatic phase of the disease and potentially beyond the point at which you, the patient, have symptoms. How is it passed from one human to another? Since it began, is it in the air? Is it touching things in common? We don't really know that. Since the virus outbreak began with animal to human infection, can a corona patient infect their pets? And if that is yes, can that pet then infect another human? If scientists can isolate the virus, how rapidly can they develop a vaccine similar to flu vaccine? And how fast can we make it in sufficient quantities to stop a flu outbreak from becoming a pandemic? And what additional 
if politically incorrect steps should be taken to stop the spread of the disease, to stop a pandemic on the scale of the historically terrifying Spanish flu of 1918. Spanish flu was an H1N1 flu, something we now have a vaccine against. But at that time, it infected one third of the world's population. And the world's population at that time was a one and a half billion, one and a half billion with a B, so 500 million with an M cases of flu. That's about a quarter of the size of the world's population today. And there were no airplanes. And there was less global trade. And the global trade took a long time to get from point A to point B on a ship. And yet Spanish flu killed about 10% of its victims. Now, would the mortality in a pandemic be that high today? I don't think so. We have better detection. They didn't have any way to test for it in the old days. We have antiviral medications that didn't exist a decade ago. We have antibiotics for, to prevent secondary infection or to deal with it. And we have much better supportive care. I mean, hospitals were almost unknown outside of the biggest cities. Um, and then they were very primitive in 1918. Um, but, is the, but there's a bigger question. We know we have access to care, but there's a bigger question. Is the US government serving us well with this drip, drip of escalation under rather than overreacting? Well, one could argue yes, because the government does not want to cause a panic. But one could also argue no, because putting more US citizens at risk wasn't politically correct or isn't politically correct because we're still doing it. And it's not diplomatically correct. We defend the Chinese. And what will be the longer term global economic impacts of prolonged Chinese factory closures, of global travel disruptions, and of an unknown duration and severity of this viral outbreak? But as we wait for answers to those questions to unfold, remember the first step is to protect yourself. And the first step in protecting yourself is good hygiene. Frequent hand washing. If you have a cold, cough and sneeze into a sleeve and then immediately or as soon as you can change your clothes. Better yet, don't go out in public with those symptoms. Don't send your children to school with those symptoms which whether there's a massive coronavirus or COVID-19 outbreak or not, is just good common sense. If you don't feel well, even if you're kind of, ah, uh, take your temperature just to be sure. And pay attention to government advisories because it's quite clear they know more than we do. As a government and as citizens who question their government, Let's not be so politically correct because we may find that political correctness has and is and will be 
hazardous to our health. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.